Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17. As you are turning there, I want to make mention we have a prayer ministry that meets uh, every Wednesday night at 545 in the counseling room, which is just behind the sanctuary here. And, um, you know, maybe the Lord is leading you to plug into our church that way, or it's heavy on your heart to intercede for um, someone. Maybe you need prayer, but uh, that's uh, part of what God is calling you to do. 545 on Wednesday nights. And, uh, man, tonight I thought as we, we prayed um, over a lot of the things in the calendar of the church, the efforts to, to reach people, to minister to people, uh, man, it's, sometimes it, it is just really good to be still before the Lord. Goodness, it's good to just be still and quiet and listen and hear people pray and to pray um, and to talk to the Lord and know that through the blood of Jesus that we can be confident that he hears our prayers. Amen? And so I encourage you to uh, entertain the thought of being part of that um, because prayer is the work. Uh, I'm reminded often before I stand before you on Sundays or Wednesdays and, and pray a very similar prayer every time uh, apart from him we can do nothing is what the scripture says apart from uh, apart from the lord then we can do nothing of eternal value so we don't want to preach lead sing reach or anything uh, apart from prayer because prayers are a faith connection to the lord amen exodus chapter 17 tonight's word or name for god in this signature series is the lord is my banner or yahweh nisi the Lord is my banner. And for context's sake, the Lord is leading his people through the wilderness. We're basically the same place that we were last week. God has freed his people from Egypt. He is leading them to a land that he has promised them, the land of Canaan. Last week, they have learned through uh, their failure to be obedient a lesson on obedience. And God told them if they will be faithful, that they would not see the judgment of God. They would see the healing of God. If they would be faithful, they would not experience what the Egyptians experienced, meaning that if they will be faithful, they will not experience God as judge. They will experience God as doctor, the God who heals, the God who mends their relationship, the God who prescribes truth over their life as moving them forward to the land that he has promised. But the complaining and the faithfulness, or I should say the complaining and the faithlessness, continued through God's provision. We say this a lot, but if you want to feel better about your own faith, read through the Old Testament and, and see the wavering faith of the people of Israel. Uh, but I, as they complained and as they moved forward and they were hungry again or thirsty, thirsty again, and we'll see a whole different kind of challenge tonight, uh, complaining seemed to be a reoccurring theme that they were dealing with. I read this week that uh, if, if complaining, if you are complaining at times, that's normal, that we would all be frustrated at times and complain about certain things. But if complaining continues, it means that your faith is weakening. So regardless whether their faith was weakening or not, God made a promise to them, and God was going to see them through to the promised land, and he kept his promises, and he always does. But God provided, and God provided meat in the evening. He provided bread in the morning. He provided water from a rock for the purpose of his people knowing that he is the Lord their God. That's all there in Exodus chapter 16 and 17. But in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16, there is a new challenge in front of them. No longer is the discomfort relative to food and water, but it is relative to an enemy. And one pastor said the following, that the enemy often attacks God's people after they've experienced spiritual blessings. How many have you 
uh, how many of you have, have experienced, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you can just acknowledge it in your heart, how many of you have experienced an absolute, all-out spiritual warfare once you made a decision for Jesus, once you started to really follow Jesus, once you turned over a new leaf of study, once you decided to try out a ministry or take a leadership position, that's when spiritual warfare hits you square in the face. Now, we used to tell people all the time that would just get saved, that, hey, heads up, because you've just now become spiritually dangerous. Before then, Satan had you where he wanted you, but now he's out to steal your joy. And the pastor goes on to say, but the Lord can use those attacks to keep us from trusting the gifts instead of the giver. Now think about that. God can actually use the attacks once you become spiritually dangerous to keep you from trusting the blessings themselves instead of trusting the blesser. So keep that in mind as we read the scripture for tonight. And I'm going to pray for us once again. Lord, we, again, apart from you, we can do nothing. I can stand here and, and preach, but apart from your spirit who makes it all plain in our hearts, God, it would be all for nothing if we didn't factor you in. This is your church, your word, your work in the world. So, Lord, we just ask that you speak to our hearts, every single one of us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 8 says, The warriors of Amalek attacked them. The warriors of Amalek represented a people group that settled there along the way of God's people towards the promised land. The, the Amalekites were actually descendants of Esau. You may remember Esau from Genesis, but the son who was the son of Isaac and Rebekah, he was a brother to Jacob, but he was not just a brother to Jacob, he was a rival brother of Jacob. And interestingly enough, when Esau lost his blessing to Jacob, Isaac told him in Genesis chapter 27, verse 40, you will live by the sword. You will be a rival to your brother Jacob. You will serve him, and you will live by the sword. History teaches that the Amalekites were very warlike. They were a very prepared and gifted culture that led towards battle. And that is the, the cursing, if you will, that, Esau, or that Isaac gave to Esau, that you will always live and die by the sword. So they are a very warlike culture that is ready for somebody to just walk through their land and dare them to take it. In fact, it would be like they were saying, oh, here's the nation of Israel. I got news for you. You will not waltz through our land and take it from us. So they attacked this, this foreign people group moving through their land on the way to another land. Now, Israel was not a warlike culture. There's no evidence of Israel actually fighting a battle in Egypt while they were there all of that time. There was no battles there. God did the fighting for them. Now, I would say that they are a tough people because they have endured slavery themselves. And, and now they travel through the wilderness, so they are a tough people once again. But they have no real experience in battle. None. So imagine the attitude of God's people now making their way to the promised land. They're thirsty. God meets the need. Now they're hungry. God meets the need again, but they start complaining through that too. Now they're thirsty again. God gives water from a rock, but they complain through that. And now that they are not thirsty or hungry anymore, here comes a nearby neighboring empire of a small sort that is now going to try to take them out. And you can imagine if you were a part of that movement of Israel's people towards the promised land, wouldn't you, when you see them come and start thinking, now, Lord, is this the way it's going to be all the time? God, is this what it's like to be free from a, 
empire that oppressed us now to only have oppression all the way to the promised land? Are we always going to be hungry? Are we always going to be tired? Are we always going to be thirsty? Are there always going to be these people groups that keep coming against us? In this world, you will have trouble. What it says, isn't it? In this world, you will have trouble. It is the nature of the world that we live in. You've got to know as we sit here together on a Wednesday night and we look through the Word of God as we think about the week that we have going on, some of you may be right now going, Amen, brother, because I'm living in that right now. And others of you, if you've had a very good day, the sin in the world keeps that from being a perfect day, doesn't it? There's something that frustrates. And in this world, you will have trouble. But God's Word remains steadfast because God remains steadfast to his promises Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 just take this word for your own encouragement tonight Hebrews 10 23 says let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise God can be trusted to keep his promise so in this moment as the Amalekite band of raiders is is approaching them what they are to do biblically and what we are to do principally and biblically is to trust and to fight. That's what you'll see. They've got to trust the Lord and they've got to fight the enemy. Moses, the leader of God's people, tells Joshua, who is the general of God's people, in verse 9, he says, Choose some men then to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. Isn't it interesting that he didn't say, rally the troops and let's get the heck out of Dodge. Circle them up and we are out of here. You notice that? There was a time, now I'm going off script now, but I gave this in a devotion last week. There was a time when God was raising up Saul and there was a, a nearby people group that continued to take a part of God's people in a town for themselves. And, and it said, the scripture said that that leader of that people group, that every time he would take over the Israelites from a town, from town to town, he would pluck out the right eye of the Israelites. And you know why the Bible says that he did that? Just to disgrace God's people. Just to disgrace them. And so there was another group of people that, God, that he was about to take over, this leader of this foreign nation that was about to take over, another group of God's people in a nearby town. And he actually gave them forewarning and said, about to take y'all over, you're all going to lose your right eye, it's coming, just get ready. And the leaders of that town basically told him, said, give us seven days. If nobody comes to get us in seven days, we'll let you have us. Did y'all hear that? We'll let you have our eyes just so that we can keep our life. Well, word gets back to Saul that this is going on, and God is working in Saul's life right now, raising him up to be a leader, and he got fighting mad, righteously mad. Like, that ain't going to happen. And so what he does, and it's kind of weird in this Old Testament stuff, but he slices a big cow in half, an ox in half, and he sends it around to the nation of Israel and says, if y'all don't fight with me and fight with Samuel and for your countrymen, this is what's going to happen to your oxen. Now, I don't know, seriously, I don't know if he meant, I'm going to kill them myself because you're not with us, or this is what's going to happen to them as a neighboring empire comes and takes them from you. So at that point, they had a decision to make about which they feared the most. Did they fear a, a neighboring empire and a leader who did not know the Lord their God? Or did they fear being uh, running away from those that were a part of them? And at the end of the day, they feared God and they feared 
cheating on their countrymen more than they feared a neighboring empire who's going to pluck out their eye. And the Bible says that 330,000 Israelites raised up together and put them down. So, so this is, when you look at the, the in, in this moment, what they have to do is trust the Lord, but not retreat. They have to trust the Lord and fight. And we, we've been given the armor of God for a reason, to prepare us for spiritual warfare that we can fight, and we can use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We can deflect and defend from the other parts of the armor given to us. But we are to trust and to fight. So Moses tells Joshua, you're the general. Get your folks together. And we're fixing to go to war. Now, Moses was, was not one that was going to be a part of this war because he was really old at this time. He was older and he could not endure the battle. So what he would do, and this is what he told him he would do, he will pray for them. I'll sit atop of the mountain and I'll pray for you. Now, before we read forward, some of us would be tempted to think in our own flesh, well, that's going to help. Sure appreciate that, Moses. Going up there and getting a recliner at the top of the hill while we're throwing swords at each other. But, but before you think that, I want you to hear me out as we talked about the prayer ministry before. Moses believed in prayer, not because he thought prayer would work, but because he knew that God would act. Now, that's two different things. I'll just start praying, see if that works. Your faith is no greater than the object of your faith. I just think I'm going to try prayer or try prayer out. Well, do you know who you're talking to and what his will is? You see, that is why Moses prayed. Moses believed in prayer, not because he thought prayer would work, but because God would act. He believed God would deliver his people. Why? Why did he believe that God would win the battle for them? Because it was the will of God to move his people to the promised land. How did he know that? God told him. He said, I'm, I, all the way back in Genesis, we'll get, I'm skipping ahead, but in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, 1 John 5, 14, the Bible says, And we are confident that he hears us, that God hears us, whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Now, if it's the will of God that his people move forward to the promised land and, be, can, and culminate and be a blessing to the entire world by ushering the Savior into that world, then God is pleased when Moses would pray that he would see them through this difficult circumstance. And we're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 goes on to say, And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. See, there are, there are times when we petition the Lord, and we don't know how he's going to answer. We don't know if he's going to throw us a no. We don't know if he's going to say absolutely yes. We don't know how he's going to work those things. So when those things are in play, we just pray and we trust the Lord. Amen? We just petition God, we put it before him and trust that he knows more than we do and knows better and that he's working for his glory and for our good. But then there are other times when we know it's the will of God. So we pray just with the assurance that God hears and he will answer in the way that we hope for because he's already said in his word that he would. So we pray in faith, trusting that God is going to move and he's going to act not just on our behalf, but for what his will is. Seriously, I believe that we can pray for the Lord's will to be done and believe it will be done because we know what God has said overall in the element of his word. Just know what he said. That's going to happen. Now, what examples of that did I give? When I pray Sunday morning, you often hear me probably pray this. It's been prayed before. When we pray on Sunday morning that God's Spirit would guide us into all truth. 
that God's Spirit would, would convict us of our sin and of the righteousness of God. I know that will be done for a fact. Because that is what the Scripture says in John chapter 16 is the role of the Holy Spirit. So on Sunday morning when I pray that, I am factoring God in and asking for Him to do what He already said He would do. That is the will of God Almighty. So when I pray it, I know it's going to happen. I know every single Sunday, if I drop right now and one of you gets up here and reads the Word of God, the Spirit of God will move. And it will move amongst the hearts of the people because that is the role of the Holy Spirit as He draws people from a place of a disconnected relationship with God to a place of a connected one. So I know when we pray it, the will of God will be done. I also believe with all my heart that in whatever situation you are in, no matter what situation you are in, when you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. How do I know that? James 1.5. If you lack wisdom, ask our generous God. He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you asking. So ask him. He'll give it. Now, there are times when he may not just tell you what to do, but he will give you wisdom for the situation so that you trust him. I just totally, as a child, believe that because God said that in his word, and overall he takes care of his people, if you, the people of God, will ask him for wisdom, he will help you. Now, you may have to wait on in a minute, and you may have to seek God in his word, or you may have to listen to message or, or seek counsel from those who also believe, but God will give you wisdom, I believe it. Now, the passage to the promised land is what God has already said. So Moses said, you fight, I'll pray. And, and he prayed and took this to the Lord as an expression of faith because God said that they would get to the promised land, that the people of God would make it there, they would have land, they would be a blessing to the entire world. So it was going to happen. That's what he told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I'll make you great. I'll bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. It was what he told Moses in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, he said, I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land that is occupied by all of those folks that end in I-T-E-S, that we can't all pronounce their name, all of those that don't believe in me, all the land they got now is the one I'll give to you. That's what he said in Exodus chapter 3. So Moses is just taking to the Lord what he already knows is going to happen because the battle belongs to him. And this is why he's supported through prayer. Don't ever downplay prayer. Lord, have mercy. If we're a church that stops praying, what are we anyway? Don't ever downplay prayer and expressing faith to a God who loves and is working his will. This, again, is why Moses prayed. God promised them advancement. And he would demonstrate faith and petition God for his will to be done. So Joshua did the fighting and Moses did the praying. That's what you see there in Exodus chapter 17. Now listen to this quickly. This is really good. One pastor said this in the study of the names of God. He said, we cannot shift our responsibilities to God and we cannot shift God's responsibilities to ourselves. Both must always be held in tension and in play. So what is he saying? He's saying, pray and fight. Trust and fight. When it's time for you to fight, fight. When it's time for you to pray, pray. You have responsibility to both of those, to pray throughout and to fight when it's time. Right? You, you can't leave one without the other. Kind of like we mentioned Sunday, well, I guess we'll just pray about it. Well, you can actually also do something about it. Yes, yeah, right, we'll do something about it and we'll just change it ourselves. No, if it's a work of God, you're going to have to factor God in. So you trust and you fight. This week, one of our children lost something valuable. None of y'all's ever do that, right? None of us have ever done that, right? Lost something valuable. 
Uh, it's in the morning, it's before school, can't find it. One of those blessed tablets that's supposed to be saving the world in education. I don't know how much that thing costs, but I didn't want to find out because I was like, we're going to find it, right? So, so I'm, I'm, I'm telling one of our children <laughs> who has the tablet, make sure when you get to school, you think back to where you were, you go to those places, and then if you can't find it there, you go to the office, you start talking to people, we're going to find the tablet not paying for it. Amen? So this is the fight. We're going to fight for this. We're not going to buy one. Your dad's cheap, and we're not having it. Um, and, and, but this is what I found. I, I'm driving the truck. After we dropped our kids off, I'm in the truck, and I begin to think about myself. I mean, I used to do that kind of stuff. When I was their age, I remember doing stuff for my parents be like, good gracious, right? And I also remember being that age and, and just beginning a relationship with God, and there would be things that now, because we're all adult, we probably don't take to the Lord because he doesn't have time to deal with those things. And I prayed like a child in my truck. Serious business. I said, Lord, we need to find that blessed tablet. Would you please help us to find that thing today? You know, and just for the sake of full transparency, maybe my own psychological help, just to be transparent, it's good to pray like a kid again. Man, it's good to just talk to your Heavenly Father and just bring them stuff that the flesh says He won't care about, but you know His Word says different. Because childlike faith is where it's at. And man, I, I just remember even in that moment, I just asked the Lord and, you know, just sure and simple faith for Him to help us find that tablet. But we didn't just pray, we searched, right? You trust and you fight, and we found it, yes. Praise God. And we give him the glory, and we give him the glory, and we find it, serious business. Like, after, after I got a text message from my son, there it is, because anyway, after I got a text message from him, I was like, well, praise God for all that's good. That's what I sent back to him, because I was thinking, we've prayed, God's answered by faith. If he just said no, we just still had to be faithful and move forward, but we asked God, and we searched for it. Amen. To God be the glory. So, in a more serious tone, because that's serious because it builds up the faith of a child. I'm serious about that. I really believe you take those things to prayer and watch God work over time. But when you pray for the salvation of your loved one, yes, pray. But fight to live out salvation in front of them. And when you have the Spirit of God-led opportunity, share the gospel. Share with them. We have to be bold at that point. That's the trusting and the fighting. What we have, when you think about give to go, we have dedicated prayer time to give to go. I love that my office is right outside the sanctuary because there's sometimes and I'm like, you know what? Fold the book, shut the computer. I'm coming right in here. I'm going to take it to the Lord. And sometimes I sit in here in the dark and just pray. I know it's going to freak somebody out one day. But I just, I just pray and I take those things, Lord. We've been praying for give to go. We've been praying towards the offering. We've been praying towards the mission celebration. But we've also been sending out letters. We've been mentioning it every single time we stand in front of you because we want you to know how important it is. And so we, we have been praying and we've been fighting all at the same time. So, so do both of those things. There's a time to trust. There's a time to fight. Do both of those when it calls for it. Pray throughout. Psalm 127, 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. So what is before you? In your life, what is before you? Is it a matter of provision that you need? 
Is it a matter of or, or something that God needs to come through on that you feel? Or maybe it's a matter of an enemy. You have something against you, coming against you. What is the source of your need? What is the source of your complaints? What is the source of the enemy that holds up your spiritual progress? Once it's identified, fight in the valley and pray on the mountain. And maybe, just maybe, when you read the scripture ahead with us, you'll see this. Maybe it's not time for you to fight in the valley and pray on the mountain. Maybe you need to hold somebody up that's also doing that right now. You need to pray for them. Exodus 17, 11 through 13. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand. Now, we'll talk about what that means in just a second. Because as Moses prayed, he raised his hands over the battlefield as he prayed. And as long as he held up his staff in his hand... The Israelites had the advantage, but whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. And Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on, and they stood on each side of Moses holding up his hands. So his hands held steadily until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. And it was customary for the Jews, the scripture teaches, if you look back to 1 Kings, if you look back to the Psalms, it was customary for the Jews to lift their hands when they prayed. David lifted his hands, the Bible says, when crying out to God. Listed multiple places there where he talks about raising his hands towards the Lord when he prayed. In 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon dedicated the temple to God, it says, the Bible says that he lifted his hands towards the heaven. What is this? What is the lifting of the hands? It's just an expression of childlike help. God, we need you. Remember small children, grandkids, kids, small children just learning to walk until the time you tell them to stop because they're too old to be doing that? What do they do? They walk up and they throw their hands up at you for what reason? Pick me up. I need help. Lift me up. Hold me. Comfort me. That's the hands raising that Moses is doing. God, we need you now because there's swords coming at us. Lord, we are in a battlefield. You said you would move us through, so win this force and work through us. God, we need you. And even as I stand here right now, I can feel my shoulders starting to be like, uh. So the battle was raging. Everything's good. And then when he's like, boy. And then all of a sudden, a few get taken out. He's like, whoa. He throws them up again, right? And then he gets tired because when you really, really, really pray for someone, you get exhausted. Because it's a work to do that. So then there's two that come alongside him, and they lift his hands. Joshua's leading the defense. Moses is leading the dependence. And we can't forget Aaron and Hur. What did they do? They supported. Hands ready, serving to help others obey God. Maybe tonight you would think to yourself, you know, we're a pretty good spot. Who's not in a good spot? Who needs their arms lifted? Who needs you to come by and just be like, you know what? I'm so sorry for what you're going through. We are lifting you up, and we're right here, and you say the word, and we're going to help. Maybe you don't even need them to say the word because you have that close relationship, and you just help. You just reach in, you grab their arm, and be like, man, I'm going to hold you up. Now, if you did that physically tonight, it might be a little bit weird. But obviously, spiritually, and sometimes people do they do a helping hand and arm around their neck. Not everyone will be on the front lines. Not everyone will be on the front office. But all who belong to the Lord can share in the victory of God's will being done on earth. There are times to trust, there are times to fight and trust, and there are times to support those who do. And God used them all. 
Use them all as his human instruments to accomplish his purpose of seeing a people through to the promised land. Well, good for them. How does that work for us? The people getting to the promised land was a preservation of God to his people. And you keep reading through the Bible, you get to Jesus. See, it's kind of important then, isn't it? As you see God keeping all this together, moving his people to a land of promise, keeping them together in the nation alive, working through the promises and the covenant to make the ultimate promise of the biggest thing that they need, which is not just to have a land and not just to have occasional forgiveness when they blow it, but to have forgiveness that lasts and lasts and lasts through the Son of God and his mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And what was the entire point of the hands raised and hands lowered again? The battle belonged to the Lord, and so did the victory. Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. The Bible says, After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder, and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Now, without going into a lot of detail there, God had Moses write down the record of the battle so there was no speculation as to what happened. We're reading a record of it now, amen? And the record says that Joshua did the fighting, Moses did the praying, Aaron and Hur did the supporting, but it was God who did the winning. God who did the winning. The, the battle wasn't determined by a number of skilled, armored men. It was tied to what God did through the prayer of his leader. And then chapter 17, verse 15 says, Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. Again, why did he have him write it down? Why did God have him build an altar? Because God didn't want Israel to forget it. They make their way to another people group that's going to challenge them again. They make their way to another part of the wilderness that's going to be difficult. As we just talked about before, in this world you will have trouble. The next time we go through something, remember the last time that God brought you through it. And he had them build an altar so that they would not forget that God had them win again. So it wouldn't be left up to interpretation. We still do this. You see this in the culture. You go to a sporting event, and if the team is any good, they have a record book. They keep stats. They, they have a video of old games because they hadn't won in a while. So they show the video of the championships, and, and then they have pictures of teams. They have banners of championships as reminders of what? As reminders of glory. Banners are familiar to us. And banners represent more than just victory, they represent allegiance. Banners represent identity. In this particular context, a banner was an insignia atop of a pole. The way that I picture it without actually finding it is a flagpole, but on the top of the flagpole, which is usually like a ball, it has an insignia there that represents whoever is fighting. Divisions of members may carry one banner to represent a different division of the army or to represent the tribe of the nation. But at the end of this battle, think about that now, because what do we know about Israel? They were divided into tribes. What do we know about military? They're divided into ranks and divisions. So at the end of this, God had his leader raise the insignia or proclaim the name on this memorial of one name. God is our banner. He is our victory. He is our representation. 
one of the most powerful images of, of military service that we all are probably familiar with is the picture depicting victory in Iwo Jima. It's on the screen behind us. Probably all of you have seen this and are very familiar with this picture. This picture was taken as the United States Marines were fighting their way towards conclusive victory in Japan at the end of World War II. And a couple of days after this historic image, it was actually shared in newspapers across the country. And even in that day, we would say today it went viral. This is why we even know it now. It's very familiar to us now. The reality is, is that it would actually take another month of fighting before the victory was secured in Iwo Jima, and three of the men in this picture were actually killed in combat after this picture. This image that we see is, is iconic. It, it represents what? It represents so much about what people love about our country. It represents sacrifice for freedom. It represents blood, sweat, and tears for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the point I'm making is this. Had this banner been a United States Marine flag, it would not have been so iconic. Because that branch of the military, while it's amazing, is only one branch of the military. This picture, and especially the banner that's on top of it, represents more than our servicemen and women. It represents our country. It represents a way of life. It represents what? One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That banner is what gives that picture so much value. I thought of this today, and again, it's one of those times where I don't even, I'm not even really, I'm just going to take a holy risk here. I remember when people that I know and love used to talk about our country and our flag in connection with how God has blessed America. In connection with the faith to trust that we were headed in the right direction by the fear of God. I'd rather have that back instead of just fighting for America how we want it. Uh, just take it for what you want. The tribes of Israel the divisions of the Israelites. They may have had their own chants. The tribes of divisions within the army, they may have had their own insignias, but only one banner would be lifted up, and that would be the staff of God. And that's what the scripture calls it, the staff of God, the sanctified cane of Moses that was used by God when, when it became a snake there in front of Pharaoh, and it was used by God when it spread the waters apart. This was used, sanctified cane, by God through Moses so that not one people group, one division, one tribe would get the glory, but the one that actually won the battle would get the credit. God, our banner, fights for us in spiritual battles that we have so that we will overcome as he has already overcome the grave and the tempter and, Jesus and, the, and Satan. He has already overcome all of those things. He is our battle-winning, victory, general, Lord, Savior. Raise his name up. That, that, that is why he said, build an altar and give it my name. Now, let me take this one step further. Before the nation, Moses, the leader of God's people, building this altar, he could have put other things on it. He could have put war Israel. He could have put roll Israel. 
He could have put, Israel, you'll always be home sweet home to me. That was for you, Miss Kim. Like he, he could have put all those things. He could have personally, he could have put the name of Israel on it. This is our banner. We're Israel. Everybody else get out of the way. That's not what he did. He could have put something personal on it. This was the one that I thought was funny, but it's also very cheesy. Moses and Joshua was here. Do y'all remember when we used to do that? And then what do we do? So was Aaron and her. I thought that was funny. Like personalized on the memorial. But now, and, and this is good leadership, now was not the time to celebrate a good day without acknowledging the victor. Man, families, when y'all have something go good and God answers prayer, give him praise for it. When God does a work in our church, celebrate the win and give glory to God who's, who's seen you through it, who's leading you through it, who's never left your side. This is a responsible Christian leader steering his people towards remembrance and acknowledgement of the one true God, the source of blessing now and forever. Do you ever at times as a, as a family where where you just sit around and talk about what God's done and then you, you thank God for what's in front of you for what God has done for you. You realize that you are in a world where you're going to have trouble, but at the end of this world, you're going to have heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ who is now our banner. Today, our banner as the church is Jesus Christ. God helped and Moses gave him the credit. And because God has helped us, and there's no reason we should have heaven at all in and of ourselves, but because God has helped us through the person, the God person of Jesus Christ, we will experience heaven as a promise of God based on his grace and mercy unto us through his son on the cross. We are believing and receiving what the work that he's done. So we lift him up and we sing on Sunday morning and he's on our lips when we give him the credit as we go throughout the week. Today, our banner is Jesus Christ. And just as God, just as Moses, in the scripture, if you look at Numbers chapter 21, just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a stick, you ever read that in Numbers chapter 21? Israel's complaining again, and they get the judgment of God, and God sends poisonous snakes into the camp. And God hears their cries, and once again, he delivers them, even though they don't deserve it. And he has Moses fashion a bronze figurine snake up on a pole, and he lifts it up before the people. And he told them if the people would just look upon the pole that is being lifted up, the banner, if you will, that is being lifted up, then they will be saved. Well, God did the same thing. When the Son of God was lifted up on a cross, and if we would just believe and turn from our sins, we too will be rescued. Jesus is our banner. This is why we preach him every single Sunday we get together. He's all of the difference in our life, all of the difference in everlasting life. Remember all of the people and the issues and the concerns you are lifting in prayer. Remember the peace in your heart and the purpose that you have in life, the new direction, the new life that God has given you through his forgiveness. Remember all the promises today that you are expecting with hope. All of the answered prayers, all of the deliverance, all of the joy, all of the heaven, all of the peace, all of those things came because you're not good enough, but because God is and he fought for you over your sin so that we might have eternal life that we do not deserve. And that ought to make a difference in our life as we wake up tomorrow and do it all over again. Amen? This is God, our banner, 
our insignia, the one whom we lift up over and above because the victory belongs to him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for fighting for us. Lord, that enemy army represents a flesh coming against us. Lord, we war in ourselves against our own flesh. Lord, we have a a spiritual battle going on in our heart and mind. And Lord, you have given of yourself to conquer the grave, to give us victory in our spiritual life, to give us forgiveness of sins that frees us not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. Lord, we read of a leader who's leading his people to acknowledge that you are the one true God who keeps his promises and sees his people through this world to a place of promise. And that's where we are, right in the middle of it. Lord, for those who are having a bad day, help them to hang on. I pray, Lord, that they would fight well and that they would trust well. And, Lord, I pray that you surround them with people who will hold their arms up. Lord, and it's hard for them to pray and hard for them to trust, God, that they would be surrounded by people who, who can help them. Lord, I, I thank you, O oh God, once again for allowing us to be in your family, to be called children of God, to be in the kingdom of God. I thank you, Lord, when we bow our heads, we close our eyes, Lord, we know as we pray that you hear us from heaven. So, Lord, I pray that tonight what you have spoken into our heart by your spirit, what you have spoken through your word, through your messenger, Lord, we would take it with us, we would live it out before a world who needs the same truth and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.